of Toto. Hi, y'all. This is Charlie Daniels, and you're listening to Jimmy Warren. Hey, everybody. Jimmy Warren here with Guitar Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. You know what? I am going to um, state a fact, and that is that I have recorded this intro for this segment. I can't even tell you how many times and deleted it because I end up going on too long, right? Because I have so much I want to say about uh, my guest and his company. So I've decided to, uh, you know, shut up and just shorten it and uh, uh, just introduce him. You know what? I am a fanatic for gear. I really am. I'm obsessed. I need a 12-step program desperately, you know. Um, my guest doesn't help my matters in any way, shape, or form. And I'm talking about Andy Fuchs of Fuchs Audio Technology. I own two of his amps, the Full House 50 and the Overdrive, 100-watt Overdrive. Great amps. It'd be easier for me to list the names of players that don't use or have one of his amps than it would those that do and have look at everybody from Bonamassa to Aldi Miola have used and own a Fuchs amp and uh, he makes great stuff you know as extremely personable uh, guy he he mods amps he does pedals he does it all and he's probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in this industry and uh, if you're looking for a great amp you know he he makes it and so without me, uh, you know, going on and on and on for, for 30 minutes, <laughs> like I have while recording this, I will just shut up and let you uh, listen to this interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you're into gear, you're going to enjoy this interview. So right now, without further ado, of course, the one and only, you know him, you love him, <laughs> Andy Fuchs of Fuchs Audio Technology. So let's just jump right in. So- you know, uh, I, I know that you kind of come from a musical background in that, but, you know, how would you say that you got introduced to the guitar in the first place? Well, my mom and my dad were both professional musicians, and um, I was lucky to sit around when, when my parents would be working out uh, songs and stuff. They played weddings and dinner dances and, you know, that kind of thing, in their tuxedos and whatever. And um, my dad operated his own music store for almost 50 years. My mom and dad, they did teaching and they did retail, and my father did repair work to band instruments. Um, So I was lucky to be around music literally from, you know, birth. You know, my father used to like to tell the story of me laying in a, in, a, in a stroller in the corner of the music store while, you know, customers were coming and going because they both had to work at the time. Um, so music came to me as, in an early age. And, um, you know, I got to listen, you know, until probably I guess I was maybe 10, 12 years old. And I started to work in the store around, you know, fifth or sixth grade, sweeping the floor, answering the phone, scheduling lessons. And, you know, when I wasn't working, I'd pick up a guitar and just kind of fart around with it a little bit and, uh, you know, take a guitar book off the shelf, an Alfred or a Standard, one of those method books, and I'd learn the basics of guitar. And, um, you know, there was always guitars clunking around in the basement of the shop with a bent neck or broken strings or a crack in them or whatever. So there was always an instrument I could mess with. And by the time I got to junior high, I got invited to join a band. So I got myself an electric guitar and a little Univox amp. And, you know, the rest is history. I I started playing more and more. Um, By the time I got to be about 18, my father got me a a gig with a friend of his who had a polka band, of all things. 
and uh, I was playing electric bass, uh, you know, just oom-pop bass type things, and um, I, I never stopped, you know, I played the, the German ethnic sort of stuff, and then later on I actually had an Italian-American wedding band that was together about 15 years, and we had lights and smoke and fog machines and all kinds of crazy stuff, we were a show band. Um, when that band kind of uh, fell apart, I took the money from all the equipment that the band owned, and we had a massive sound system and lights and our own truck. Um, I took a bunch of that money when we settled up and sold everything, and I started this business, which was at the time a hobby. Um, you know, I had always been t tinkering around with stuff in the basement of my house, building things for myself, whether it was stereo equipment or guitar amps or, you know, fuzz pedals or whatever. Um, and that kind of got this going. And, um, you know, at one point I was playing gigs, uh, working a day job and coming home and building amps at night. And I, I look back on it and I'm like, you know, I was working on four, five, six hours of sleep on a good night. Um, and that would be the late, late 90s. Um, by 2003, we had incorporated the business. Um, and within a year, we moved it out of the house. We found a small factory space right in my town in Bloomfield. Um, and now we're in Clifton and we have a 5,000 square foot factory space in a 1920s factory building with nice big tall ceilings and lots of space to grow and um you know we've we've gone from doing modifications uh we're still doing modifications we started a repair division here that does a lot of work for uh touring backline companies and local professional musicians um and additionally we manufacture all of our amps and pedals here in the u.s with imported and domestic parts um and we're in business now uh, a little over tw almost 20 years you know officially um, and it was a hobby that became a livelihood. Wow. That, yeah. That, so your influences, you know, in the beginning and that had to be pretty vast. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was, you know, my parents had a massive record collection, yeah. so I could listen to Chet Atkins or Les Paul or Howard Roberts or Johnny Smith or, you know, one of the turning points for me was probably in about the fourth or fifth grade. I'll never forget it. I was walking home from school and I was a garbage picker and I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, I'd bring home a broken TV or a broken record player in a heartbeat, and if I couldn't carry it, I'd yell at my mother to grab the car. We had to go pick this thing up, and we'd put it in the trunk of my, my parents' 69 Chrysler. There was tons of room in that, and we'd bring things home, and I would hopefully not burn the house down or kill myself. But one day, I'm walking home from school, and somebody's garbage is out at the curb, and there's this big white metal hamper, you know, a clothing hamper. And for whatever reason, I opened the top just to look inside. And it was loaded from the bottom to the top with 45s. So it was about a block from my house. So I dragged it home, leaving a big scratch in the sidewalk all the way up the block. <laughs> and in this thing was was 45s from Little Richard, Jed Atkins, Les Paul, uh, Connie Francis, um, you know, just Glenn Campbell, whatever. Um, just tons and tons of music. Somebody just cleared out their 45 collection. Um, you know, so I got immersed in, in music I had no right to be immersed in. Um, and, and I came away with a real kind of wide span of, of music that I was able to play. You know, my father used to say my ears were my worst attribute because I would often, if I heard it, I didn't have to read it, I could play it. I, to this day, if I play through a song once or twice, I don't need music anymore. Um, and I still play. Um, I've got a band of guys, you know, social media is not only psycho ex-girlfriends, but it's actually friends from your past. A buddy of mine I went to middle school with sends me a message on Facebook. I'm in New Jersey and I've got a band. I see you're in Jersey and still play guitar. 
let's uh, you know why don't you come down and let's see if it'll if we can do something. So um, I've been with this band almost ten years and we're doing fun stuff, challenging stuff. We're doing Steely Dan and we're doing Melissa Etheridge and we're doing Beatles and we're having fun and it's all you know the age range runs anywhere from about early thirties to mid sixties as far as band members. Um, you know, we play by choice a couple of times a month. Hopefully when COVID blows over, we'll be back to work. Um, and we have fun, you know, it's, we, we put out a good product and it's enjoyable. People like what we do because we do it well and we have fun doing it. And, it, and it's about as much as I want to work musically at this point, you know, coming off of years where I was doing, you know, 80 or more gigs a year playing weddings and dinner dances, Friday night, double Saturday, double Sunday. Um, it was a good thing. Uh, it helped me put uh, put a couple of kids through school, helped me buy a house, helped me start a business. Um, but enough is enough. You know, you get old and eventually you can just do so much, you know, before it becomes, it, it starts feeling more like a job, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen, you know, uh, some of your your recent videos and music. I'm, I'm guessing that that's the band on uh, Facebook. Yeah, well, there's, there's actually two bands. There's a band called the Matt Coffee Band, which is yeah. kind of a southern rock filtered through New Jersey's Meadowlands. <laughs> right. And there's another band called the Five Cent Philosophers, which is a little bit more mainstream. Uh, you know, high, high. we call it yacht rock, you know. You'll yeah. hear an Eagles tune or something like that or a Steely Dan tune or a Beatles tune, you know. Yeah. And they're fun. You know, it's, it's a fun project that, um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not an obligation. It's more like, okay, let's, let's actually read some music and learn a tune and do it really well. So, uh, so that's basically what we're doing. You know, and, and really the business has taken up at this point, it's a majority of my time. Obviously it's become a full-time business and, you know, I like to diversify personally. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm one day I'll be doing quality control on stuff coming off the assembly line. Uh, you know, another day I'll be designing a circuit board for a new product or revising a circuit board in an existing product. Um, some days I'll spend an afternoon just doing repair work. Um, I like seeing what other people are doing, you know, other manufacturers. So, uh, you know, I, I'll see anything from an old Gibson Hawk to an orange to a two rock to a Marshall to an old Fender twin. Um, and it, it, it's still kind of fun to do diagnosing, diagnosing what's wrong with something, um, you know, tweaking it a little bit to make it better than it was when it was made, you know. Um, and it's, it's a good, it's become a, a pretty decent revenue source for the business as well. Um, between local working musicians and we do work for most of the bigger backline companies in this area. We do SIR, we do SST, we do uh, Boulevard Pro, we do Carol Music, and these are guys that own, you know, hundreds and hundreds of amps and keyboards and drum sets, and, you know, whether it's general maintenance or, hey, it fell off a truck or, hey, somebody blew it up on stage, um, that keeps us busy. They drop off, you know, units every week. The truck pulls up, takes last week's drop off and picks up more. Um, so that's that's become a good part of the business as well. We've got uh, one, two, three, four people in the shop, plus my wife who's doing the administrative stuff and myself. So it keeps us busy. And I've got a sales rep who's independent uh, who works on, uh, you know, works with my dealer network and gets product uh, and inventory control and all that stuff done. Right. Now, do you do you have any formal, you know, technical schooling or is this just stuff well, you just learned? Well, it was a hobby. My parents were very encouraging. You know, I went to what used to be called ham fests, where you could buy electronic parts. And I bought, my parents bought me an oscilloscope and a soldering iron and a meter and a signal generator. And, 
you know, I, I went, I joined some amateur radio groups and CB radio groups where you could learn from others. Um, I had a couple of fantastic mentors um, in my elementary school and middle school time. I was working in the local TV store. Um, a buddy of my father's um, was a engineer for Grumman on Long Island, and he decided to start his own little TV repair shop. And most of the stuff at that time was still tubes, so I learned from from Al. And then later in life, I met a gentleman named Ted Hammond, who's a very well-respected engineer on the East Coast. He worked for Blood, Sweat, and Tears in their studio, and uh, he worked for NBC TV when stereo television first came out and satellite TV, things like that. Both of them were, you know, a good 20 or more years older than me and imparted a lot of knowledge. I mean, I got milk crates full of Army and Navy electronics manuals and you know, I was I was learning from the best, and I was taking tests. You know, we're going to do chapter six now. We're going to figure out Ohm's law. We're going to learn gain and all of that. Um, I took technical electronics. I had anticipated going to college to be an engineer, um, and I was kind of floored by the fact that what I wanted to know I couldn't be taught. You know, I was like, okay, where do I go to learn this tube stuff? And everybody was like, tube stuff. You know, we don't we don't make that. You know, we don't teach that anymore. Um, so I, I spent a year or two uh, taking technical electronics at RCA Institutes in Manhattan at the same time I was working on 48th Street, uh, Music Row. I worked for We Buy Guitars. I did some work for Sam Ash and Grayson's, people like that. And, you know, I kind of went to school, the school of hard knocks more than, you know, college. Yeah. Um, so I never pursued getting a degree. And, and, you know, I think at this point, between designing chassis and circuit boards and circuits, you know, I, I paid my dues and learned enough that I don't feel bad. I don't have a shingle hanging in my dining room someplace that says I'm an engineer, you know. <laughs> right. You know, and a lot of what I know is unique, you know, to, to electronics. I have... Um, you know, I was good friends with Jess Oliver, who was one of the Ampeg founders, and Dennis Kager, who later worked at Ampeg and Sundown. And, you know, it was kind of interesting meeting them at a NAMM show and shaking hands. And, you know, Jess was, last time I saw him, he was in a wheelchair. I think he got two two hips or two knees replaced or something. And he shook my hand. He goes, it's really great that there's somebody, you know, a young, a young person like yourself with this knowledge in this industry. He goes, because guys like me, we're dying off like flies. And, you know, ironically, you know, both Dennis and, and Jess have moved on. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing uh, consulting and design work for a few manufacturers, helping them, you know, debug amps or make them sound better or a little bit more reliable or cost effective to manufacture uh, as a result of having a knowledge that, you know, there's fewer and fewer guys that have it. Um, you know, I'm friends with Bruce Egnator and Dave Friedman and uh, Mike Soldano and a lot of the guys that do this, Mitch Colby. Um, you know, I, all, I consider them all friends, and we get emails back and forth. Hey, where are you buying those knobs? Those are great. You know, who's winding your transformers? You know, who designed your chassis? You know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we all kind of – we're kind of each other's comrades as much as we're competitors. We're friendly. Um, and we have a unique skill set that's, you know, hopefully – there's enough people out there that are making it their business to learn this because when we're gone, I don't know who's going to do it, you know? Right, right. Well, you know, I I actually, I own two of your amps. I'm, oh, yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that. I, yeah, I've got the Overdrive uh, 2 and then I've got the uh, Full House. And uh, they're both they're both great amps, you know. And there are so many, you know, really good amp companies out there. You mentioned some, you know, like the Ignators and the Two Rocks, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. With with you know, so many really good ones. And, and one of the thing, just so I can say this, one of the thing that's really appealing about your lineup is the price point. 
you know. Well, we, we've tried to do, you know, with the casino stuff especially, we've tried to make our make our sound a little bit more available mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to the masses, if you will. I mean, when we first got into this, we were building, um, you know, we were building three and $4,000 amps. We still are, and there's still a client base for that. Um, but, you know, guys were like, there's got to be a way to, you know, make this available at a lower price point. And I had feedback at the time from my, my dealer network and, um, you know, I had a, a good friend of mine, Teddy, at Making Music, was like, look, dude, you know, we, we had a line of low-end amps that we were competing with Dr. Z, basically, or trying to. Uh, the original Blackjack was a single-channel, non-master volume. It compared to the Maz 18 and some of his little simple, uh, simpler amplifiers. And guys loved them, you know, but guys would walk in the store and say, I want to buy a Dr. Z. And the dealer would say, well, let me show you this Fuchs. Now nah, I want to buy a Dr. Z. And nobody looked at Fuchs for that. Um, you know, even today, we just came out with the Manus 89, which is a Marshall, you know, in the Marshall vein. It sounds like an 800 and a 900 that's been tweaked to hell, and it's it's an awesome amp. But people, you know, we're trying to convince people that we're not just friendly, smooth, blues, jazz, overdrive. We can do rock and roll amps that will rip your face off if you dial them up the right way. Right. So, so Teddy says, listen, these amps are great. Don't get me wrong. Don't be insulted. Uh, he said, but you should do what you do best. He said, if you could get an amp in the sub $2,000 market that had channel switching and gain boost and a good reverb, and it was cost effective for you, obviously you got to make money. He goes, I think that's what you want to do um, because it'll make your tone reachable to more people. And especially when I'm competing with, you know, guys building amps in their garage, guys building amps in Malaysia with child labor, you know, there's now Chinese double clones. They don't sound terribly good, but you know, they look attractive and they're wired really well. They just don't sound like they're supposed to. Um, so we've kind of, you know, we've kind of tried to get into the affordable segment of the market with the casino series, and we did really well. Yeah. Um, we went anywhere from 4 watts through 100 watts um, by using the same chassis and circuit boards and cabinets and just changing transformers and power tubes. Uh, we were able to get, um, you know, a really, really cost-efficient American-made product. I mean, for the first year, people were emailing and going, are you making these in China? It's like, well, no. <laughs> Come yeah. to the factory and I'll show you. Um, and that did well. I mean, we've literally sold thousands. Um, it was a very, very successful product. And, you know, now I'm kind of looking at what's the future hold. Is there going to be a Mark III casino? Um, after seven years of feedback from customers, I still can't believe it. I'm looking at circuit boards and going, my God, I've been, we've been making it that long. Um, I'm looking at what the Mark III might bring, and, and that's going to be feedback from customers that said, hey, a better loop. Hey, could I get, you know, a tone control on the reverb? Could I get, you know, a, a channel one master volume so I got a master volume on both channels? You know, things like that, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, at some point in the future will find their way into, you know, the, the next the generation of amps, hopefully, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, when, when you uh, look at the gamut of, of options out there when it comes to amplifiers and that what would you say is the the key factor that sets you apart from from uh from a lot of the other you know amp companies that are out there what makes what makes you so different well we we are building small batches which allow us to choose our parts very carefully um, one of the interesting distinctions, as, as obvious as it seems, you know, it's like the nose on your face. You know, Randall Smith from Mesa Boogie's a nice guy, and I'm sure he's kind to children and animals, but he plays saxophone. 
you know, and, and there's times that I, that boogie overdrive to me sounds like a brass instrument. It doesn't sound like a guitar. You know, Mike Zadie from Dr. Z is a brilliant engineer and a really sweet guy, and I consider him a friend. He's not a guitar player. Um, so to a degree, you know, guys will see me working on an amp in the shop, and, you know, I've got a lot of test equipment. I've got distortion analyzers and scopes and generators and all of that, and that all matters. But my most important pieces of test equipment is my guitar, my hands, and my ears. You know, so I'll plug a Strat in or a Les Paul in, and I'll, I'll you know, and I'll take amps out to gigs, and, you know, I'll get feedback from people that I, that I trust, like in the audience. You know, friends of mine that'll come to a bar to hear my band and go, man, that amp's awesome, but you know what? It's a little too bright. Or, you know, your, your tone was off the hook tonight, man. Don't change a thing. Um, so a lot of the process, um, you know, like every cook wants to double-check the batter before he bakes his cake, I, uh, I spent a lot of time tuning, um, you know, what I make as a musician, you know, and as an engineer... Having built uh, high-end audio tube equipment for the studio and for audio files, um, I brought a lot of things into guitar amps that, you know, friends of mine told me I shouldn't or didn't have to do. Um, you know, when I was talking to Dennis Kager many years ago, um, I was working on, you know, uh, vacuum tube mic preamps and things in recording studios, and I'm like, you know, why would you not want DC tube filaments and regulated DC on your plates and all this and all that? And he was like, oh, you know, guitar amps go back to the 20s and nobody ever did that. It doesn't have to be done. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I agree with that. Like, until you've tried it, like, why are you writing it off? Um, so I started out by putting in DC filaments, which made my amps much less sensitive to uh, the type of tubes, preamp tubes. And nowadays, tube quality is, you know, variable at best. Um, you know, putting in a bias pot for each power tube, you no longer need match tubes. Um, you know, you can set the bias individually for, you know, whatever you're putting into uh, the amp, you know, which is which is awesome. And, you know, again, Dennis was like, ah, you don't really need that. I'm like, well, you know, a trim pot costs 50 cents. Would I like to be the guy who did one better? You know, Mesa Boogie doesn't even have bias pots, and I've got four of them. So you tell me. Um, so attention to detail in terms of grounding, um, circuit boards are laid out not only to be pretty and serviceable, but to sound good because parts can talk to other parts in a bad way. You know, capacitors radiate signal at times, and if they're too close to other capacitors, they talk to one another, and that's not good. Um, so a lot of the attention to detail, you know, people look in our amps and, and they can see that it's executed, you know, in a very logical fashion, the signal flow through the board and into the amp and out of the amp follows um, a logical pathway that, that pollutes it as little as possible. Yeah, you know, I think I think on, on top of all of that, I think one of the things from a guy looking from the outside uh, that I think makes you stand apart is your accessibility. And what I mean by that is, is that I can actually communicate with you and ask you questions about your amps, you know, through social media. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a mixed blessing, you know. <laughs> when I'm watching, when I'm watching TV at eleven or twelve o'clock, and I got my iPad in my lap, and you know, I see messages pop up, and I'm answering, you know, technical questions. My wife's like, "Are you crazy?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I've done this since 1999. Yeah. You know, before I would go to bed, I'd hop on the computer and answer a dozen tech support emails, and go to bed, and then do it in the morning before I went to work. Yeah. You know, so it's always been a part of what I do. I mean, I have a computer next to my bench. The emails open. I hear the sound. I double check it. You know, and guys are like, man, you got back to me in 10 minutes. That's unbelievable. 
you know, and the, the question is how long can you do that before it becomes a little crazy? So I backed off a bit. Um, but yeah, I try to be accessible, um, you know, as opposed to companies that you can't reach for service and support, you know, that's a little bit of a challenge. I mean, there's, there's a few people building products that literally don't have schematics or service information and you call to talk about it and it's like, well, just send us the amp, we'll fix it. Well, I'm a technician. Can I have a schematic? I'll fix it myself. No, we don't do that. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, there's an extreme in this business that's really not necessary, in my opinion. Especially if you're spending a lot of money, you're buying a piece of me. I, I, I call my amps my kids, yeah. you know. People bring me an amp I built in 2000 in the basement of my house, probably after one or two more beers than I should have had. And you know what? I'll still service it. Um, I'm very, very backwards compatible with, I can change the motherboard with a, a motherboard we used last month in an amp that we built 15 years ago, and it'll fit the chassis and all the wires will go where they need to go. Because um, I'm not a firm believer in reinventing the wheel. I mean, I've revised, the ODS main board has been revised probably 100 times in 20 years um, just to adjust, you know, little little details that bothered me or little improvements I discovered over time. Um, and I make a point of supporting everything we make. I tell people, these are like my kids. My name's on them. I'm not going to run away from them. Right. You know, uh, one of the other things that's uh, kind of interesting is the fact that you know, some of the best guitar players that are out there, I mean, guys like Jay Graydon and Warren Haynes and Bonamassa and Paul Jackson Jr. and guys like that, you know, they own your gear. And they play your oh, gear. Yeah. That's gotta feel. Oh, yeah. That's gotta feel great, you know. From well, it's it's an honor. It, you know, it's an honor to be friends with a Paul Jackson Jr. or a Warren Haynes or go to a concert and meet somebody that I, I met Derek Trucks. It was kind of funny. I found out Derek Trucks owns an ODS fifty and records with it all the time. Even though there's other stuff on stage, and even though he endorses other things, um, I ran into him backstage. I forget what it was. It might have been. Oh, geez, maybe Jackson Brown and the Almonds or something in Jersey somewhere. And I saw him backstage. I went over to say hello and introduced myself, and he laughs. He goes, I know who you are. I own one of your amps. Yeah. And I, you know, here I am, like the, the schoolgirl with my panties in a bunch, and he knew who I was already. You know, and I said, I'm a big fan of your wife's, and he goes, me too. You know, <laughs> But, you know, he's telling me he owns one of my amps and records with it all the time, and I had no idea. Yeah. So that's the, that's the best part of it. It's, it's one thing to sell somebody an amp. Like, we put an amp in, in Paul Brown's studio. A very famous producer and jazz, a smooth jazz guitar player. He loves it, and here's a guy who could have anything he wants. You know, he's had dumbbells pass through the studio, and he works with a lot of heavyweight professionals, and he, he's loving it. Um, but the best ones are the surprises. You know, Warren started playing our stuff when when his his Diaz blew up, and his guitar tech um, borrowed an ODS from Jimmy Herring, who had a spare one on the truck, and. Um, Jimmy Aaron gave him a hundred watt ODS and said, "You know, when you get your Diaz fixed, give it back to me." And that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so Warren, Warren, you know, Warren loved it. You know, that's that's a great experience. You know, Bonamassa, same thing. Joe played our gear for quite some time. You know, and listen, guys change. You know, their favor as far as what they're going for tone wise or gear wise, and we understand that. I never sign exclusives with anybody. Yeah. You know, you use it, you like it. You're certainly welcome to use other things. You got to own a Strat. You got to own a, a Les Paul. And there's no way anybody can lock you into, well, you must play my amps, you know. Right. But but just the fact that, you know, going from being that kid, you know, at that music store, tinkering around, you know, to the place to where, you know, now you have some of the best players in the world. Yeah, it's you know? an honor. It really yeah. is. I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's a good feeling. It really is. Yeah. 
So what's so what's next? Well, before I get into what's next, I got to tell you, I I also really love the UA uh, uh, plugins. Oh, thanks. I I do. You know, I'm recording my tenth album right now, and I'm using uh-huh. both the the overdrive and the train too from from the UAs, and uh, yeah, and I ha- and I have the amps, but you know, I I don't know. They sound great. Well, that was an interesting um, experience for us. Um, we were approached, my sales director has a, a pretty busy uh, career, and he's been around the industry a long time, and he uh, contacted, um, he was in touch with Brainworks, because he's worked on the software side of things as, as well as others, and he got in touch and said, listen, how would you feel about modeling you know, Fuchs amps? And it was a mixed blessing, I'll be honest with you. Um, I would, uh, I was a little hesitant, yeah. you know, I'm thinking, am I going to lose customers? What's going to happen? Um, and interestingly enough, there's guys that own my amps that have the plugins. I mean, Jake Sinager from Humphreys was like, dude, my gear is usually on a tractor trailer someplace. And when I'm recording in my bedroom in my pajamas at three o'clock in the morning, writing a new song, but I want to have my tone, um, I'll use the plugin. Okay. And the plugins are are exceptionally good. I mean, Al Miola was in Germany when they were developing them. His wife is from Germany, and and they invited him over to the Brainworks Studios. And Al called me. He said, "I got to tell you something." He goes, "I played some of this modeling stuff." He goes, "This is probably the best emulation of your amps that I've ever played." Um, and interestingly enough, somebody will play our our emulation in the studio really really like it and end up saying if that's what the model sounds like i want to buy a real amp yeah you know and conversely the guys that own amps that it's not convenient to set up a cabinet and mic it and get the head dialed in that's you know for some guys that's a half a day in a studio just to get their tone so once you're dialed up and you save your presets they've even modeled our cabinets so you can do an ODS, you know, 100 watt, uh, add a little bit of reverb, feet and cabinet, choose 30 different mic positions, save it as a preset, and hey, I got my tone, and it's, it's, it's a mouse click away, which is pretty amazing. And I'm not a guy who does that myself. I don't do a whole lot of recording. I, I prefer to play with humans, and I don't do backing tracks or home recording. But the little bit that I messed around with it, it was pretty impressive. Really, really nice. Yeah, it. it... They they turned out great, and like I said, I I use them myself quite often, you know, sure. uh, recording videos and working on uh, different stuff. And uh, you know, there for a long time, I was using a completely different program. I was actually using the Bias program, and uh, and then when they came out with yours, I was like, well, I've, I got the amps, I got to hear what this sounds like, and uh, started messing around with it, and I absolutely love it. So. So what's next, Andy? What are you going to do next? You know, you've done ah. the, you've done the train wreck. You've you've done the, you know, you you've you've done it all, man. You know what's what's next? Would retirement be inappropriate to say? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. Interestingly enough, um, no. You know what? I'm I'm kind of enjoying what I do. I had, I had a conversation with my doctor. I went in for a physical, and you know, he's making small talk or whatever, and he's like, uh, "How's things going?" I said, "Doc, love what I'm doing. Hate running a business." And uh, he said, "You know, it's funny. I love being a doctor, and I hate running a practice." Yeah. So we had a laugh about it. Um, you know, in a perfect world, um, I've had a few conversations with other companies. Um, you know, there's a there's a few. There's a few casual discussions about, um, you know, maybe we 
become part of another organization. Um, maybe somebody says, you know, we hire you and close Fuchs or bring Fuchs under the under the banner of another company. Um, you know, between the consulting and the repairs and manufacturing, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing. Um, but you know, it's it, and I've, I've said this for 20 years. I'm not a business person. Um, you know, people have complimented me on my success, and I put that in quotations. But we're still essentially a small business, um, and it has small business challenges. I mean, COVID was a wake-up call for us. Yeah. You know, we spent a couple of weeks, you know, sending out emails and applying for government assistance because, you know, cash flow is tight. We're not a, you know, we don't, have, we're not sitting on a couple of hundred thousand dollars or a few million like other companies might be. Um, so, you know, running a business starts when, you, when you're in your early 60s, as I am. Eventually, you start thinking to yourself, you know what, I really would rather just do what I do best and let a business person or an investor or a partner come in who's got, you know, the intestinal fortitude, if you will, um, and the wallet to take it to the next level. And that would be, you know, maybe making amps overseas, come out with a sub $1,000 line of, uh, you know, product that we design here, but we build it someplace else, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I'm looking at a few, um, I'm looking at a few um, uh, pedal ideas. You know, I've had people say to me, you should do an ODS style pedal, maybe with a tube or two in it, that kind of thing. Um, you know, we're always exploring our options. Um, I don't have a specific thing. I'm, I'm just now rolling out the Manus 89, which is finally starting to show people that we're capable of a really, really good uh, Marshall-style amplifier that, you know, again, people people are kind of waking up and going, wow, I never knew you guys could do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I built good-sounding stuff. It doesn't matter to me what the discipline is. I mean, we did very well with the train wreck stuff for a, for a period of time. Um and listen, truth be told, I'm not a fan. I would never use that amp myself. It doesn't work for what I do. Um, however, it's a great amp for what it does, and in the hands of the right player, you know, I've heard that there's a local player, Matt O'Ree, who played with uh, Bon Jovi, and he's got his own band as well, who used it for quite some time as his main digging amp, and he made that thing jump through flaming hoops. Yeah. You know, for what I do, it's not it's not an amp for, for my particular musical stylings, um, but that doesn't mean it's not a great amp, you know. I mean, I've played, you know, back when I was gigging, I was playing Fender Pros and Twins, and I had a JCM 800 for a lunchtime or two, you know, and eventually I ended up just building my own stuff or modifying stuff to be what I wanted it to be. Um, but, you know, as far as what's next, you know, again, I'm always getting emails from customers suggesting, um, you know, ideas for us. Um, we've actually been building fairly consistently. Um, we've been building mods from scratch, um, like little baby Princeton ODSs and basement heads that are ODS modded, you know, straight out of the shop, all brand new parts. You know, we call them basements and Princeton's purely because of the form factor, the mm -hmm. size and shape and weight and all of that stuff. But it's our ODS style circuits. And we've been popping those out pretty regularly. I'm, and all of a sudden, you know, I put a post on a, on a forum someplace, hey, we're building a batch of these. And the next thing you know, I get orders. Yeah. You know, so that's a cute little side business as well for something that wants something not quite in our mainstream wheelhouse, you know. Right. At the same time, guys, you know, if they have an app, you know, uh you can modify that, right? I mean, oh, absolutely, you know. absolutely. There's there's a list of amps someplace on our website of of what we're willing to work on, and you know, again, we have um, we've done uh, what we've done is we've limited those amps to the ones that are what we call mod friendly. 
So stuff like Twins and Pros, Basements, Princetons, Deluxes, those are all in our wheelhouse. We've done the, the Fender Concert, the Fender 75. We do most of the Music Man models except the RD50. Uh, we do a bunch of the trainer models. Um, and we do that because we know the quality of the iron. I know the quality of what my end product will be. Um, and the layout of the amps, I've worked with them enough times in the past. We strip them out. We know how we're going to, you know, this is where I'm going to put the rectifier card. This is where I'm putting my filter caps. This is where the motherboard should go. Um, and then we just got to collect the, you know, connect the dots inside with wire. Um, so we know what it makes sense for us to work on. And you will very rarely see me do a Marshall. You know, we, we did a JCM 900 a year or two ago that came out spectacular, and I would do more. I would do an 800 or a 900 now that I figured out how to do it. Um, but there are models that I won't, I won't waste my customers' time and, and my, my time and my customers' money working on because I know it's going to be too much work. I won't do a boogie or I won't do an Ampeg. Um, there are simply, you know, amps that by the time I'm done drilling holes, punching holes, and plugging unused holes, I could have built four other amps. Right. You know, if I can't get in and out of a mod in eight to ten hours in total, you know, a, a perfect mod is starting at eight thirty in the morning and going home at four o'clock and putting it on the burn rack. If you can do it, yeah. um, and you know that that makes money, it turns in a reasonable amount of time. The customers are happy. Um, you know, when it when it becomes, you know, it's like you could put a Hemi in a in a Volkswagen Bug. Would, would you want to? You know, by the time you're done, you could have built three other much better cars. Right, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you pick your battles and you pick what makes sense, you know. Yeah. Well, there you go, everybody. Andy Fuchs. FuchsAudioTechnology.com. That's right, dot com. You want to go there and make sure you're checking out all the gear. I want to thank Andy for participating in Guitar Talk. I really enjoyed uh, talking to him about his amps and his company and his history and that. Uh, make sure you're following Fuchs. Uh, everywhere that they can be followed on social media, uh, checking out their equipment because you have to have a Fuchs amp in your arsenal. That's right. Or you don't have an arsenal. That's just, you know, I just said it. There you go. Next week, we're going to take this to a new dimension with my guest, John Thayer. That's right. You know him. You love him. You cannot live without John Thayer. That's right. John Thayer. John is the guitar tech. For the one and only George Lynch and the Lynch Mob. Now, John knows guitars. He knows how to play guitar. He knows everything there is about equipment and guitars. He is a master. And he's on tour with the master all the time. So so tune in next week as my guest is going to be John Thayer, the guitar tech for George Lynch and the Lynch Mob. Right here on Guitar Talk. You guys have a great day.